Welcome to the Accra Community Church Podcast. So glad you stopped by. We hope that as you listen to today's sermon, the Holy Spirit through his word will refill you, recharge you, and equip you for the rest of your journey with him. Listen to today's sermon. So this morning, I'm going to share a short word with you on stewardship. Now, preachers love to talk about stewardship because a big part of stewardship is giving. So once they step into Malachi, get to chapter 3. Can a man rob God? Yeah. But herein has thou robbed me. And he say, wherein has we robbed you? The entire ten offering. Preachers love that. They love that. I guess I'm not a preacher. Because this one, I'm not going to do, can a man rob God? But I want us to read an account on stewardship. I want us to read an account on stewardship from First uh, Chronicles. In First Chronicles chapter 29, so in First Chronicles, we read about King David desiring strongly to build God a temple. Strongly desiring to build God a temple. So he calls the prophet Nathan and he tells the prophet Nathan, listen, I am living in a palace. Since the time of Moses to now, God has been living in tents. You know, the Ark of the Covenant has been in tents. And the Ark of the Covenant has never settled. God has never properly had a place of his own. So I want to build God a temple. And Nathan looked at him and said, this is a good idea. I think you should do it. But just when Nathan left and probably went to pray about it, God said, no, 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 go and tell David I haven't asked him to build me a temple. Amen. So when we get to verse 29 of First Chronicles, this is the man who didn't get the privilege and the opportunity of being the one who builds God a temple. And he says that. So this is him addressing the whole Israel. He says, my son Solomon whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. And then he says that, Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx and other precious stones. Verse 3 says, And now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in construction. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected for his holy temple. I am donating more than 112 tons of gold And then he encourages the leaders. And then the leaders from the other tribes all start chipping in. So verse 6 is, Then the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and captains of the army, and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly. So there was a lot of giving. And then you get to verse 10. It's quite a long reading, so I'm, I'm hoping. Then David now bursts into praise. He starts praising God at how generous the people of Israel were being towards the project. 
says, O Lord, the God of ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. And then he goes on praising God. And then when he gets to verse 18 of 1 Chronicles 29, he says, O Lord, the God of ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make your people always want to obey you. See to it that their love for you never changes. Give my son Solomon the wholehearted desire to obey all your commands, laws, and decrees, and to do everything necessary to build this temple. So we see this man express how truly he loves God through extreme generosity. He gives everything he has. Every gold, every anything he had, he, he gives towards the temple. And then in praising God and all that, there's a single prayer he prays. He says, Oh Lord, let your people obey you. Amen. King David was onto a secret. A lot of the times when the issue of giving comes up in church, you know, we encourage people to give, we bully people to give, we threaten people to give, we coerce them to give. And it is great. But the biggest giving of all is the giving of obedience to God. Amen. And this morning, I've titled that Cheerful Obedience. A lot of the times when we hear sermons on obedience, especially when the preacher takes you to 1 Samuel 15, and you read the account of King Saul, and God told him, go to go and kill all the Amalekites, don't leave anybody alive, and then he doesn't. He and his army keep their fat rams and cows for themselves. And when we, we, we know that account, when we read it and we hear it, we, we all know to be obedient is better than to sacrifice. We all know that scripture. Today we'll read it and look at it well. But when we read that, the sense we get is that even if grudgingly I must obey, even if painfully I must obey, even if I don't want to, I must obey. And this morning I want to just share with us that obeying God doesn't necessarily have to come from a painful place or grudgingly. You know, it is not the law of it, it is in the love of it. Amen. Amen. You know when you are, so let's say you are in a marital relationship and you know that your spouse gives you what they give you only out of duty. Oh, if I don't pay the children's school fees, they will say I'm an irresponsible father. So uh, here is school fees. Oh, if I don't make time for my husband at night, you know, they will say I'm a wicked wife. So uh, they ha- we have a calendar. So Tuesdays and Wednesdays or whatever days, you know, it's, it's a schedule. Oh, if it's, it's duty. There's nothing more beautiful about love than to feel desired, to feel wanted, to feel that the person you are in love with is crazy about you. 
And this morning, I want us to look at obeying God. It is great when we can bring our gold and our diamonds, you know, and our silver and our jewelry and our time to God. It's great when we can serve God. But it is even better. It is a million times better when we are doing it because we love him and we are so crazy about him and we are passionately in love with him. Amen. That is the hard part. To love him, to be crazy about him, to wake up and you can't wait to pray because it is the time you get to talk to your father. You know, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. That intimacy to the point where like John Wesley can say, God is closer to me than I am to myself. That intimacy, that money cannot buy. In fact, many times it is easier to bring a fat offering, much, much easier than to honestly walk with him in intimacy. Let's go to the book of First Samuel. I mean, it's, it's uh, First Samuel 15. So one day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord God of heaven's army has declared. I, God, have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Get rid of everything. Everybody. So Saul mobilized his army at Telaim. There were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul and his army went to a town of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent his warning, sent this warning to the Kenites. Move away from where the Amalekites live or you will die with them. For they showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came out from Egypt. So the Kenites packed up and left. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything. In fact, they, in fact everything that appealed to them, they kept. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. So this is what led to Samuel con confronting Saul. So verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you? Saul asked. And Samuel told him, Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sends you on a mission and told you, Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder 
and do what was evil in the Lord's sight. But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. And then he blames the troops. He says, Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gigal. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your bent offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshipping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Amen. So this is the scripture. And one of the things I want us to look at is when we talk about stewardship, you notice that God is holding Samuel, uh, sorry, King Saul accountable here because he gave him an assignment. Amen. The idea of stewardship is not very different from being employed. Anybody, any employer employs you and before you are employed, they have an assignment for you. You have a job description. Said, you join this company. This is your role. If you don't give somebody a job description, on what basis will you hold them accountable? What are you holding them accountable for? Where there is no prior assignment, accountability is not justified. So we read the story and we see that, well, God has held, God is holding them accountable. He's holding King Saul accountable. And says, you, when you were little in your own eye, when you were nobody, I select, I handpicked you. I made you king. And then I sent you as king of Israel. Go and destroy the Amalekites. Kill everyone. What happened? And Saul says, oh, it is the people. It is the army. And one of the things I have learned about ministry, about, not ministry, about walking with God, about this Christian walk, is that a lot of the times there's a people problem. Amen. It's, it pops up in many, many ways. We want to serve God, but, you know, the leader of the choir is a very arrogant person, and the way she talks to everybody rudely, you know, I, I won't join the choir. You know, she's very disrespectful. You know, if it wasn't for church, she's not even qualified to talk to me. And so because of that person, I won't do it. Uh, yeah. we, we know story after story oh, you go and sow a big offering because God touched your heart and says oh they, they have a good missions program support them and then the moment you went to sow you saw that the pastor on the very day you sowed you know, basically you emptied your bank account because God had touched your heart and you blessed them the very day you sowed it was a Sunday Monday he released a new car and he gave testimony. And you know, that was your offering. <laughs> so, so that pastor becomes a hindrance. Because of the next time God tells you, oh, God, I didn't hear right. And this one, it, it can't be you. Um, these church people, they are not responsible. They are not, they are not accountable. You know, King Saul, too, you have to understand King Saul's situation. He really came from a family of nobodies. He, there was nothing significant about his family. The only thing about him was that he was the tallest person in Israel. That was all. 
He wasn't the most intelligent. In fact, there was nothing special about, about, about Saul. And then God handpicks him and makes him king. And then, in fact, he wasn't even brave. He was hiding under a basket when God called him. He was really a nobody. And then God picks this guy who is a nobody. And then there is an army that is now cheering him on. You know, and he knows what God has told him. But the, you know, the soldiers are killing the people. He's like, yeah, we are winning battles, yeah. And then all of a sudden, uh, they're like, oh, but these cows, Charlie, in Israel, you can't get cows like this. These are expensive cows. Let's keep them. And he has to stand up and tell them, no, you can't do that. And the cost, the fear of gaining their displeasure of you know, the people who look up to him as their leader getting upset with him. He wasn't ready to take that. He wasn't ready to take that. He would rather please them than please God. I mean, most of the times when we find ourselves in situations where we are compromising on what we know he expects of us, we are not necessarily thinking, oh, I'm going to please this person at the expense of God. We are not thinking that way. We are just thinking, oh, they will think I'm too creepy. You know, they think I'm some way. Oh, they will think I'm too wicked. Oh, they will think I'm not reasonable. Oh, they will think I don't care. You know, so we give all these excuses because we don't want to hurt people. We don't want to offend people. You know, we don't want to be the bad person. You know. I'll tell you a story. So when when I was in secondary school, O level, uh, I used to be. I think I was prayer secretary for the scripture union. And normally, when we meet, you know, uh, there will be some word, some revelation, sharing. You know, the zeal was there. We'll share. And then we had a an SU president, who for some reason, anytime I shared, if I said, oh, so you know, the whale that swallowed Jonah, who can't say no, it was a shark. You know. Anything I would say, he would find some way to either trivialize it or... So at some point, I'm like, this guy cried. What's his problem? Okay, I won't share again. I'll just mind my own business. Let him go and preach his shark swallowing Jonah, whatever. (laughs) So I stopped. And then on my last day, this was in boarding school, on my very last day, you know, the day before either your parents come and pick you, but you know this is your last day at school. You, you are not coming back to this school again. I had a dream. And in the dream, there was a flower that was budding. You know, a beautiful plant. Just when the flower was about to bud, somebody chopped it off. So it never really got to bud. And it was in the dream, I was like, what is this? And said, that is you. That is you in this school. You, you know, I had planted you here for a purpose. And just when you're about to bud, you allowed other people to stop you. Many of us, many of us, if we look in our lives, we'll see that the people issue, which disturbed King Saul, also disturbs us. We have to remember that in this kingdom, we serve alongside others. I mean, that we can't do anything about. God will call Paul and we say, Silas, join him. Go and do this. Uh, he will call you, know, you, you, you and you go and do this. And sometimes there will be misunderstandings. Sometimes things won't go well. So he calls us to serve alongside others, to serve alongside each other. But our focus 
is on Jesus. The reason why our focus should be on Jesus is that even though we serve alongside each other, it is only Jesus we serve. Amen. Hallelujah. And this is the true sense of st- a sense of stewardship. That, you know, the music may be good, it may not be good. The, the sermon may be some way, it may be great. All of those are actually material. At the end of it all, there was one employer who will give you an assignment and will hold you accountable. And if we are ill-prepared, we end up like the student who had studied a lot about trees and shows up in the exams hall and the question was about birds. So he starts. Birds are two-winged creatures that love to fly. And normally when they fly, they perch on trees. So one may ask, what is a tree? And then, now everything he has learned about trees, he has fine opportunity to write about trees. But the question was never about trees. It was about birds. There are things, let's get practical. You see, there are certain callings of God that if they happen in your time, no, if they happen at the right time, you look spectacular. Imagine being born in 1900 or 1905 and your talent was football. You know, your, your gifting. God had called you to play football in 1905 when nobody had respect for football. But if you were a carpenter, there was a lot of respect for carpenters. Coffin makers. Back then it was easy to die. So coffin makers... We're prominent today. You take all these vitamins and all the, you go and do all these scans, and you never die. Back then, influenza, pa, you are gone. Uh, TB, pa, anything will kill you. So, coffin makers were highly respected, and your calling at the time was football, and nobody respects you. So, you show up and you are kicking your body, full-grown man with all this muscle, instead of finding some good quality job, you just run around kicking ball, kicking ball, useless, useless, useless. The funny thing is, the season and time you may have found yourself in won't appreciate you. But when you stand before God, he'll say, I called you to play football. It's like, yeah, they kept teasing me. They kept calling me. (laughs) Say, yes, but they didn't call you. I called you. What happened? He said, oh, you know, God, you should have placed me in 2018. Then I can play with the Ronaldo's and, you know, Cristiano Ciro, you know. That marriage says, no, I called you and I put you in this time. Because that's what we normally do. We, we, we look like, Charlie, what job pays now? Now it is, what job really pays? No, it's not God. Lead me. What would you have me do? What is your purpose for me? Oh, no, Father, lead me. That, that's, that's not it anymore. It's, it's like, Charlie, I hear this profession, there's money in it, pal. You know, so, so we go and chase it. Yeah, like Charlie, hey, if you go to that village and they find out you're an engineer or lawyer, everybody will respect you. And God says, no, 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 I don't want you to be an engineer or lawyer. You know, and then He gives you some profession. I want you to be a photo. I, I can relate to that one. And you show up. You say, oh, bra photo. When you take one photo, how much? You say, hey, ten Ghana. Ah, but the other photo, he takes five Ghana. We try to acquire in two CD. Bra photo. 
And you know that in your heart of hearts, all you desire to do, I've, you know, is, is to be a photographer. But you're in Ghana. Nowadays, because of Instagram, photographers are a, a little respected in this country. When I started, you show up. I remember I went to one woman's office, and she's like, ah, I wanted a photographer, or not a lawyer. You are speaking too much English. <laughs> I'm like, ah. <laughs> you know? But that's the thing with stewardship. The ability to be authentic to your calling at every price, because this is what God demands of you. Amen. The courage to cheerfully offer everything you have and you can in response to his bidding, even at the expense of your reputation or your image. Today, the yardstick is how much money you have, how big your church is. In the Bible, God will call some to be captains of hundreds. Some were captains of thousands, but others were captains of tens. So if God has called you, that you, I want you to be a pastor of five. You know, but you watch these other preachers and when they introduce them, uh, yeah, 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 congregation of one million, ten billion. On that day, when you face him, he will say, I asked you to write about a bird. What is this essay about a tree? Amen. To demonstrate what cheerful giving is, there's a, there's a little story I would share with all of us. And it's a story about Kujo. Pastor Joe is not here and I miss him, so let's call this character Kujo. Uh, so Kujo, so the, gong, the, the town crier, you know, be the gong gong, the whole town gathered. And the queen of the town, young pretty queen, the, the king had died a few, a couple of years prior. And she announces that, listen, this palace we live in is very old. It is dry season now. The best sand to build with is riverbed sand. So now that the rivers are dry, we want all of you to go to the rivers, uh, riverside, fetch sand, a container a day. Everybody, a container a day. Fetch it, we're going to build a new palace. The queen announces this. They'll be like, yay! Kojo Chrome has a new palace and it's nice. We also deserve one. Let's do it. So everybody goes to their house and finds a container. And they're excited. So first month, people were carrying basins. You know, in Ghana, Gagba, they call it Gagba, the huge ones. People were carrying buckets, size 32. You know, anything, paint containers, anything they could find. And then after a few days, they're like, Charlie, this thing is exhausting. Oh. And they don't even pay you. And then, so after two months, now there's just a month left, they don't have as much sand. If you look at the plan of the size of the palace they want to build, there isn't enough sand because the momentum has been going down. And then a week to the end, Kujo, this time he was using the pail we used to bath. You know? So he went to fetch a pail full. He got it, but just when he was pouring it, he felt convicted. He's like, this thing is not right because if I look at how much sand we are bringing now, in just a week, the rains will come. We can't harvest the riverbed sand. And this is not enough. So, listen, I'm going to change. So now, he had been saving some money to, to start his own life as a young man. He decided, listen, let me go and back for my basin. 
I will fetch the son. And he was doing that three times a day. His friends were laughing at him like, you, you fool, Charlie. This one, government, government work, you carry him like your father in business, you know. All the jokes, they, they, they were teasing him. But after three days, his neck was hurting. So he took the money he had saved, went and bought a wheelbarrow, the biggest wheelbarrow he could get. And seven times a day, for the last one week, he would go fetch the son and come and pour. Fetch the son and come and pour. A, f- a few of his friends felt convicted, so they joined him in doing that. Fetch, come and pour. Fetch, come and pour. And then on the last day, the town crier came again. Go, 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 go. The queen says, today is the last day. The rains are coming tomorrow. So when you go and fetch your sand, don't go back home. Just after you pour your sand, head to the palace. She has a meeting with all of us. So everybody does that. They show up, and then Kujo shows up with his wheelbarrow. And then the queen says, thank you all very much for how well you've contributed to this. Now we have enough sand to do the project. And then they're all cheering, yeah. And then she says, I want you to enter this room. This is our, you know, where we keep our treasures. Enter this room and your container you were using. When you go there, we have gold there. You fetch to fill your container and then you go home. This is how we thank you. People who started with basins and were now using teacups, they enter there and they can only fetch a teacup full of gold. Some, some were even using spoons. So now they get it. And then it gets to Kujo's turn. And then he fills the wheelbarrow. And everybody's like, hey, that's a lot. The queen says, no problem. Wait a minute. Just when Kujo is heading out, the queen says, no, go and pour that one and come back and fetch again. Because I saw you do it seven times every day when you got the wheelbarrow. Go fetch seven times. So Kujo goes, fetches his gold seven times. This is somebody who was living in his father's house with a leaking roof and had been saving to fix the roof. Amen. And remember, the queen was single. So the story didn't end there. (laughs) So, yeah, they lived in that beautiful new palace happily ever after as Mr. and Mrs. Amen. But this is cheerful giving. Amen. This is stewardship. It's not that we give and, yeah, it is not the rule of it. It is not the law of it. It is not the responsibility of it. But that it comes out of love. And if we can truly give out of love, he will always reward us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. There have been many times when other people's attitudes have distracted us from our assignment. And this morning, we ask that you forgive us. We repent of this ourselves for allowing ourselves to be distracted. Father, restore unto us the joy of your salvation. Renew a right spirit within us. And help us, Lord, help us to focus on our assignment, to focus on living lives that please you, even if it means the world will reject us. We give you praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I hear today we actually can take questions. We haven't done that in a while. So if you have a question, yes. You talked about stewardship, meaning like you should know you should know 
what God has given you that you have to look after. So can you give us, I don't know if I missed it in the beginning because I stepped up, but can you give us a few tips as to like, how do you know um, what you're supposed to be doing? How, what's a few pointers on that? Okay, that's a very good question. How do you know what you're supposed to be doing? One of my favorite answers to that is actually words from King Solomon. He said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. You, you get it? Because sometimes it is in the generic that God leads us to the specific. You know, there are people who are praying every day, God, show me, show me, show me. Uh, but actually, if you open your eyes, there are things you can do. Things in your environment, things in your workplace, things at home. You know, that as a Christian, you know that this. One other very good answer is that anything you see, any problem you identify, normally tends to lead to your calling. So what does that mean? Somebody walks in and they are the only person that will notice that the carpet is dirty. Like, yeah, I mean, to everybody else it's fine. And they're like, no, the, the carpet has, can't you smell it? No, nobody else can smell it. And normally if you see a problem, you fix a problem. I mean, people like to spiritualize these things, you know, but it's, this is in the very practical you're like, oh, this church, it can be more prayerful. It can be more prayerful. If you sense that, initiate it. Amen. Because that will lead to your calling. You know, in, in the process of organizing other people to join you in prayer, God would one day show up and say, oh, thank you for being faithful here. Uh, I'd want you to specifically focus on this. Amen. Uh, it, it is a journey. It is a journey, you know. So even when he speaks to you specifically today, tomorrow that assignment will be over and he will lead you to something else. But one thing you shouldn't do is to be sitting somewhere and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting that God will speak to you in some voice that my son, my daughter. <laughs> Amen. I hope that is helpful. Yes. Any, any other question? Any other question? Oh, ask questions more. Amen. Yes, just one more question and then we... Okay, that's it. Apart from the people pressure, what else can be challenges to good stewardship? That's, that's a very good question. So normally when we talk about stewardship, especially in scripture, there are four pillars of stewardship. So there is a concept of ownership. Uh, to understand that everything, you know, Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. That everything in this world belongs to God and that we are just custodians. So you actually don't own what you think is yours. You are just a caretaker. So understanding that everything you have is owned by God. When a Christian truly understands this, it is easier to give. Because you know that you are just a conduit. Your name may be on the checkbook, but it was never your money. You know, so then it's not, we don't get into arguments about whether it's 10.5% or 10% or exactly how do you calculate 10% on gross or net. It's not your money anyway. And then there's uh, the thing about if God owns everything, what is my responsibility? 
in stewardship. And then there's accountability and there is reward. So when you understand each of these pillars, it makes it easier to avail yourself as a steward. Sometimes in our lack of understanding, we think that, oh, I've been going to church every Sunday to clean, you know, and when my child was sick and I prayed, God didn't heal them. Meanwhile, that, that weed smoker, he walked in one day and there was a miracle for him. And then we are upset, you know, we are upset. So sometimes our expectations, we come to God with service and we think that in serving, we are entitled to certain benefits, see. That can also be a hindrance. You know, you know how some churches will teach that when you are in trouble, lift your tithe card and show it to God. Say, Father, I'm faithful in tithe and offering. It is awesome if you are faithful in tithe and offering. But that is not why God blesses you. Fundamentally, you are blessed because you are a child of God. When he adopted you from the kingdom of darkness and added you to his family and your name became John Jesus, this thing, you know, everything that is in the Jesus family became yours by right. If you give, it is because you love him. So our understanding of who he is and what stewardship means can often also be a huge obstacle. Amen. Yes. Thank you for that. I think that the last point you made about our understanding of what stewardship is is critical. That there may be other aspects of stewardship apart from being good stewards over the resources God gives us, the material resources. I think one other aspect is stewardship over our relationships. God gives us the people who come around us. God puts us in situations where there are other people. And sometimes we are the other people of other people's lives. And so we have to be conscious about being good stewards of our relationships. I think that the stewardship of our material resources is one of the least, if I have to put it that way. And the emphasis can be misguided. I mean, God has also given us health. And stewardship of our health is also a critical thing. The environment and things like that. So I think that um, there must be a lot of emphasis, especially on the stewardship of our relationships, because that's where the heads come, and that's where we we miss it out, and that's where there are many challenges. Because it's very easy to say this other people, this other people, but if it was the other person who was saying it, you would have been that other person, and so stewardship of our relationship is very critical. Amen. Let's, let's clap for him. That's, that's a very important contribution. When it comes to stewardship of relationships or about our relationships, one of my favorite scriptures is don't cast your pearls before swines. Uh, the Bible says that not only will they trample it underfoot, but they will also turn and attack you. you know, so you have to know when to connect and when to disconnect. You know, to obligingly yield yourself to an abusive relationship is not wise. You get it. So, especially in this social media age, you know, where somebody says something, and you're like, no, this is not right. And then they already start blasting you. They start insulting you. You know, don't engage. You know, so we should also know when to engage, you know, that our time is precious, first and foremost. So any relationship that, that doesn't help us, don't encourage it. Amen. I'm not saying go and be quarreling with people and say, don't call me again. No, that's not what this is about. Honestly, that's not what this is about. Uh, our time is up from uh, Apostle John is giving me a strong signal at the back. Amen. But yes, why not? After church, we can continue these conversations. Amen. God bless you.
We hope this sermon blessed you. If it did, will you consider sharing it with a friend? And if you're in Accra looking for a spirit-filled community to worship with, why don't you join us at Mikado Plaza, the Bonnie Junction, Accra, on Sundays from 9 to 10.30 a.m. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Accra Church and visit our website, accrachurch.org, for more sermons. God bless you.